What's up, everybody? This is Tanner from TamanBaseballFan.com. There's a couple of places I want to go uh, with this episode tonight. And really, it's kind of been, it, it really kind of stemmed from uh, an auction that recently uh, finished. So, <laughs> kind of forgive, uh, please forgive my uh, uh, rabbit trails and when I be going down, as I sure, I'm sure I will. Uh, but uh, there's an auction that I was following fairly closely. I actually forgot about it until, uh, uh, you know, somebody mentioned it on one of the forums at Net54 Baseball. And, uh, you know, so uh, it's not a card that I was a player in, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was just a card that I have uh, something similar. And so I wanted to kind of track its value. So it was a 1914 uh, Cracker Jack Jules Show Jackson. I've got the 1915. It's the same card, basically, but, you know, the uh, backs on the 1915s are upside down. Uh, so that way, it was actually made that way on purpose. So that way, if you put uh, glued them in like a bind or something like that, you could actually flip them top to bottom and you can, you know, read the backs uh, right side up. That's really kind of the only way that you can tell, for the most part, uh, between the 1914 and 1915 Cracker Jack. So, anyways, this 1914 Cracker Jack uh, Shields Joe Jackson pops online. Uh, PSA 1.5, and it, it was very nice presenting, nicely presenting for a PSA 1.5. There's a, there's a one uh, that for 1915 uh, that recently sold at auction uh, for $15,000, and it was wrinkled and bent like crazy, had three holes in it, you know, and so it was a, it wasn't exactly a looker, but the thing is, is the owner is probably through the roof over the moon excited because it is uh, an iconic card. It is really kind of cemented itself, like either year, Cracker Jack has cemented itself as, uh, you know, a true blue chip, like gotta have card for any uh, vintage collector. So, but there's not many of them around, you know, so, uh, but anyways, that's why a hugely beat up 1915 will go for, uh, 15,000. And so I was watching this auction of this PSA 1.5 and, uh, there's, there's speculation as to what it was going to do. And now keep in mind the landscape today in the quote unquote sports card market is different than it was this time last year, we were in the middle of a pandemic this time last year, and we were having all kinds of uh, questions as far as, uh, you know, what was going to happen? Are we going to keep uh, seeing these like record breaking prices or what, what, what really is the future going to hold? And so uh, we were kind of riding this high. Now you have people saying, oh, I'm, you know, the sky is falling. There's so many cards that aren't selling like they were before. And Granted, a lot of that's the new stuff, I, so I understand it's a, you know, a little bit of a different thing. But nevertheless, the economy uh, and the state it's in right now is affecting everybody, top to bottom. Um, you know, everything costs more. And it's, uh, there's kind of funny, it says, uh, there's a meme that I saw earlier. A friend of mine actually just uh, sent it over to me and said, uh, um, these new dollar bills look amazing. There's a picture of a $20 bill, you know, it's uh, kind of feels like that sometimes. So, uh, so in, in, in spite of that, I, you always gotta, you always watch these auctions and you're like, what is going to happen with this? So 1914 Cracker Jack, Joe Jackson, they hardly ever show up. Uh, and it's even rare for a 1914, uh, you know, but 
Uh, anyway, so it ends at nearly $100,000. Uh, I think it's actually warranted, and I think that might be uh, might end up being the new norm. Um, I think it's very possible that we'll start seeing uh, these prices as a baseline to go forward. And by the way, guys, I could be completely wrong. I've been wrong before, and I know I'll be wrong again. But when it comes to this card and a few others out there, I think that's just what's going to happen. Um, I think that, it, as I said before, I think all Cracker Jack, Shields Joe Jackson, have really kind of cemented themselves as like a, a must-have for you know, the, the serious, real-deal, hardcore vintage collector. Um, it's like, a, you know, in terms of being iconic, it's up there with the Tito Sixon Swagner. Just certainly hasn't realized the same, uh, you know, financial uh, positioning as the Wagner has. Uh, the 1914 has, I think, 43 examples that have been graded by PSA. I don't know how many of SGC, but uh, PSA is, you know, obviously the preferred uh, grader when it comes to the high-end vintage because they always seem to, you know, kind of command a little bit higher of a price. When it comes to being a buyer, I like SGC just because you can get uh, cards a little cheaper, um, sometimes a lot cheaper, but... I am way, way, way more interested in eye appeal than anything. So, uh, anyways, this this is kind of an interesting thing. I, I keep looking at this uh, Cracker Jack, uh, shows Joe Jackson. By the way, a PSA three of the nineteen fifteen sold for uh, seventy five thousand, I think, uh, recently. And it's uh, so you know it's not just the nineteen fourteens; it's the nineteen fifteens that are doing well. Uh, but by the same token. And SGC sold for like 45000 So quite the disparity, but um, I think I appeal. I think the PSA had it also um, in terms of centering and everything as well. So uh, in any event, this card uh, is uh, has a lot going for it. It is iconic. It's from an iconic uh, set. And this is not a... <laughs> This podcast is not an episode of, uh, of just kind of showcasing how beautiful and wonderful the Cracker Jack Shoeless Joe Jackson is. It's actually something that got me thinking today. First of all, when I uh, picked my job, uh, my job off the ground from you know the hundred thousand uh, dollar final price for the fourteen, um, I started thinking, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I've got this uh, nineteen eleven M one one two. It's a, it's a supplement. From sporting news so it's like closer to like 8 by 10 but it's like uh, f- uh, like a f- uh, photo instead of you know an actual like uh, lithograph or whatever but it's black and white and uh, it is an incredible display piece it's for one thing it captures Shoeless Joe Jackson like no other piece I've seen uh, has before I think that the three uh, cards that we really kind of think of when it comes to Shoeless Joe Jackson would be the uh, the W514, uh, which has a very crude drawing of it. Uh, Shows Joe Jackson, which when you know the I'm sorry the Cracker Jack, which when you look at the face, it looks kind of <laughs> kind of a little weird. And uh, his caramel, the it's E90-1 from 1909, I think. Um, could be wrong. Could be a little off on that. It's uh, again the the portrait of or the face area is just really kind of a <laughs> kind of a, a weird deal. Um, but uh, the M101-2, it's large, it's got a, 
uh, you know, head-to-toe photo of him, and uh, it's magnificent. It's what I would probably say would be probably one of the more beautiful issues um, that captures him in such a way that the cards just can't. And so I remember first hearing about these and seeing these, and I remember they were at an auction, I think a couple years ago, like it was a near set, because Sporting News had a hundred of these uh, that they put out, if I remember correctly. And uh, on some auction house, they're selling 97 or 98 of them. And I remember going, oh man, just falling in love with how these things look. And I want to remind you, because I know I've talked about this quite a bit before, of how much I hated uh, 1989 Bowman as a kid. I could not stand that they couldn't fit in the proper pages and top loaders and sleeves and everything they had in the boxes. I mean, it was just as difficult, like so hard. They would always get messed up. You almost kind of want to trim them. As a matter of fact, uh, when I used to have my entire base run uh, in binders of Kinsaker cards, I didn't even include 89 Bowman or the Topps Big cards. Because I said, ah, nah, forget it. <laughs> they don't fit. They don't match. Minis are okay. You know, the A6 Fleer Mini and 88 Four Fleer Mini and all those. Those are okay. Uh, but 89 Bowman, Tops Big, nope. <laughs> I will not, not have anything to do with those. So, uh, light was turned on in me whenever uh, I saw these M101-2s. Like, the, and not all of them, okay? So, there's, there's some of them I don't really care too terribly much about. But there are others that are just, oh, just gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. And, you know, they were released around the same time as, uh, uh, as the T206s, which is really cool as well. And they predate the Cracker Jacks. Um, so that's kind of fun. So anyways, a couple years ago, on this very podcast, I remember talking about this auction and how I was a player in it. And I was really excited about, about these M101-2s and just gushing over them. And I lost. I lost the auction. I was really bummed. Like, seriously, like, sometimes when you're heavily invested, uh, this is how I work a lot of times, is when I look at an auction that I'm heavily invested in and super excited, I almost want to write an article before I actually get them. So that means a lot of times uh, I, can, <laughs> I can write something uh, or at least formulate it in my head and it will never come to fruition because I end up losing. And that happens quite a bit. Uh, <laughs> not necessarily me writing things before I get things, I, I, uh, but I do lose quite a bit though. And so uh, this one was no exception. It hurt because I was thinking, oh man, I think I, I think I get him. I remember uh, just going back and forth in my head thinking, okay, uh, if I resell these, then I can keep my favorites and this, that, and the other. And then uh, as the hours went by, uh, the price kept ratcheting up and the margin of profit uh, reduced all the way down to zero. And I still made a few more uh, offers or more, uh, a few more bids. And I was like, okay, I could probably still make this up. And I go, nope, I got to get out. This isn't a, I'm not thinking with my head anymore. I'm, you know, thinking kind of with my uh, heart, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so either way, I lost and... The things that hurt the most were missing out on the Shoeless Joe Jackson, the uh, 1909 World Series piece that has uh, Hannes Wagner shaking hands with Ty Cobb, 
and the Walter Johnson. And those were my three favorites by far. And so I was like, man, that really, really is terrible. I, I can't believe I missed it. Oh, well, you know, you know, you can't win them all. And so within a few weeks, I was dumbfounded. The uh, very pieces I was looking for actually ended up being scooped up by a large company, if I remember correctly, and they sold all of them through eBay. So I was able to get the three that I wanted. Um, I had to pay the, the late tax, I guess, if you, uh, if you will. But uh, in retrospect, it, you know, it ends up that that was like a massive, massive bargain. Um, and so it was really cool and I was really happy with these pieces. And so the funny thing is that it was like uh, with the quarter of an inch or so uh, uh, taller that they named Bowman's are, it's amazing that, you know, with those that bothered me so much, it's amazing that these pieces that are wildly bigger than any cards, um, you know, just kind of captured my attention. And so uh, I started really thinking like, well, what do you do with these? Okay, I've got these three pieces, what do you do? And they're graded by PSA, by the way. And so I started thinking, you know what? These are display pieces. You know, these aren't just little baseball cards that you throw in a box and put them away or in a binder or whatever. These are actual uh, historical uh, pieces of art. They're meant to be displayed. And so I started displaying them. And I remember just uh, really enjoying looking at them. And I think, man, this is, these are really, really cool pieces. And I think that it's possible that maybe Topps had a hand in uh, me being more okay with liking these bigger pieces because over the years they've come out with uh, five by sevens and ten by fourteens that were like online exclusives, of course, and the box loaders and the cabinets and the, the jumbo booklets and that sort of thing. And so I always thought that was really kind of a kind of a neat little I don't know if you want to call it a gimmick or whatever, but uh, but it's something that. Uh, was different than the regular conventional sizing. I guess probably one of the things is also is that nowadays you have grading companies that will grade uh, weirder size pieces, but you also have guys like Jeremy Skinner, uh, uh, Hardball34 on eBay, by the way, that will uh, sell and uh, create and sell custom holders. And I use him all the time, by the way, guys. So he's really good. He's top notch. Hardball34 on eBay. I tell him Tanner sent you if you're interested in getting something from him, but he'll do all kinds of sizes of really cool uh, holders and everything. And, uh, you know, so basically that is, that breaks down a barrier that a lot of us collectors had when it comes to getting oversized pieces. And we're like, well, how do we display this? You know, how do we protect it while we display? So anyways, um, you know, so that, that was one thing I, I think I, uh, really kind of ended up taking a multi-tier approach on how I store and display my collection based upon all these different sizes. So you have binders for some of the lower end stuff and then you have boxes for the things that are top loaded and for the really good stuff you can you know display them or the things that really kind of pull on your heartstrings that sort of thing. So there's a lot of different ways going about it. But when it comes to the jumbo pieces um, <laughs> especially the pre-war stuff, I really, really, really enjoy uh, being able to, to display them. And, you know, like I said, it's just, it's a piece that 
these pieces that are that have been created like this they're they capture something that regular size baseball cards can't quite get um, because they simply don't have the real estate to and uh, you know it's just a it's a wonderful thing to be able to see larger size photographs also you know, as it is so um, that kind of opened the floodgates for me of course and I've uh, picked up a number of uh, older types of uh, larger format pieces and now I'm just hooked and I'm in love and they are great conversation pieces. So the other piece of this, which I thought was kind of fun, is uh, looking at the 1914 Cracker Jack, Joe Jackson, that we were just talking about. There are 43 graded examples by PSA. Well, this 1911 Sporting News M101-2 that I have of Joe Jackson uh, has way fewer. In fact, it's probably right, right about below a fifth because there's only eight graded copies at PSA. Um, and that's wild. That's wild to me because you have something that is going to be significantly more difficult to get uh, in the PSA holder uh, than you know, the, the Cracker Jack. And yet the Cracker Jack is... Uh, you know, over 10 times as expensive, uh, you know, which is crazy. In fact, I think, uh, so the last handful, I think, of in decent condition of these M101-2s, I think they've gone for about 7000 or so. Uh, the last one I saw uh, sell, if I remember correctly, I think was raw. It wasn't even graded. And I think it was, uh, at one point or another, folded up like an accordion, I think that sold for a little under four thousand. It still displays real nicely, by the way. So it's not a, it's not something where you go, oh, it's gross, it's horrible, it's messed up. You know, it was still real nice looking, but it just had a number of bends and wrinkles in or anything. So, uh, but it displayed real nice still. So you know, there's still uh, ways to kind of get this M101-2 from time to time without like really completely breaking the bank. Anyway, it's still a lot of money. Um, but you, know, you still also have a number of great options in the set. Um, you know, I'd highly recommend looking them up. Uh, and the photography is just like amazing. There's some that look more like newspaper clippings, but there's some, and those are fine too. You know, those look, those are great. Uh, my preference is going to be the pieces that I think they're the earlier ones where uh, the actual player is kind of highlighted and sharpened and the background is really kind of more uh, I just walked past the largest cockroach I've ever seen in my whole life guys like that's gross anyways uh, that kind of threw me off my groove here <laughs> but anyways the uh, the sporting news M101-2s I really like are the ones that have like a sharp player image but the background's kind of faded there's just something I don't know, hauntingly beautiful about them. And uh, I, I love them. I love them tons. Please, yeah, definitely check them out if, you, if you're a fan of that sort of thing. Uh, and I think you will be. Uh, especially if you guys out there that are chasing all the patches and bat knobs or anything. This is something completely different. It's okay, by the way, to stretch your wings a little bit and, uh, you know, go for a little more variety. Like, you might not know anything about vintage. Uh, but if uh, you are a fan of anything when it comes to history or anything, I think this will be right up your alley. Um, man, 
there's something about pre-war that just it's got soul it's got soul to it they weren't created uh to be scarce or anything they were created to be enjoyed and collected and and as uh, really a supplements to you know help sell a product instead of you know hey check out this uh you know one of one bat knob we sliced up the bat and uh, put in this card and slapped a one of one on it and you know i by no means am uh, you know talking down on anybody that collects those or even those cards because i love them they're beautiful uh, but they're going to keep making those every year year after year after year and like suckers you will go after all of them each year just like i will <laughs> so there's no shame in that uh, that's just how it goes they they do some amazing cards uh, some amazing pieces and as collectors we can't help but love them you know why would we not uh, they're incredible and it's not just bat knob cards there's all kinds of uh, different uh, parallels that we can pick from that we like and everything too uh, but when it comes to like just cards with soul I, I would say the pre-war stuff especially ah, I love it I can't get over it um, it's kind of funny because growing up the old cards quote-unquote were cards before 1980 and nowadays uh, cards from the 80s and 90s for the youngsters are the old cards and sometimes they might go they might go like really old like 50s and 60s you know where where some uh, ancient guy by the name of Mickey Mantle or Willie Mays uh, used to roam the fields and in fact I'm actually uh, Facebook friends uh, with Mickey Mantle's son, uh, David Mantle, and uh, so we've uh, conversed back and forth and everything, uh, which has been, you know, kind of fun, you know, kind of fun to know that, uh, you know, we, we all know who his dad was and everything, uh, but uh, to be able to show some people some pieces that are from the turn of the century and before, uh, that's just another level, I think, and there's stuff out there that's, you know, fairly affordable, um, I think uh, you can get some uh, 1887, 88, 89 old judge cards, lower condition, you know, kind of common players. Sometimes you can get them for a couple hundred bucks. And uh, what a fun conversation piece it is. Because uh, while your friends and family might not be interested too terribly much in the baseball, uh, I think that pretty much everybody can be interested in uh, the actual history that goes behind these cards. And, uh, you know, if you've heard me, I know you've heard me on this podcast and YouTube about uh, how they create those old judge cards. And if you haven't, go back and check them because uh, I think I've done a pretty extensive overview on how they were created, which is fascinating in and of itself. Uh, I don't know. I love it. It's kind of funny because... Uh, I was on the, my walk with uh, Holly and Beckett earlier this evening. I just kind of went off on tangent. I don't even know why. I just started, you know, talking about the uh, 1909 World Series between the Pirates and, and the Tigers, and then the 1910, uh, you know, battle of the, for the for the batting championship between uh, Ty Cobb and Napoleon Lajway. I just kept talking, and I go, I. Kind of lost myself. I forgot that I was talking uh, to Holly, and uh, <laughs> who doesn't care a lick about baseball. <laughs> and so I go, 
I'm sorry, you probably don't care about this at all. I probably should have just waited to tell you this stuff when you're having a, having trouble sleeping. Huh? And she goes, she laughed a little bit. She said, no, I, I enjoy the the you know, history aspect and stuff. But yeah, not really a big, she reminded me, I'm not really a big baseball fan. <laughs> We've been together for about 23 years, so this I definitely know. Uh, but anyways, it's fun how you can just get so easily wrapped up in these stories in the past and uh you know forget who you're talking to <laughs> and just keep going down that uh same rabbit hole i probably should have uh, had my uh, uh podcast recording while i was talking because uh, that would have uh, probably helped me reduce uh, some time uh you know to kind of produce this here and send it out to you but anyways uh, so it's kind of fun but it's also interesting uh, i think that la- that's the last point though is uh, with the M101-2 having literally less than a fifth uh, graded of them than the 1914 Cracker Jack Show Show Jackson. And the fact that uh, the Show Show Jackson went for about 10 times more than what the M101-2 goes to show you uh, how big of an effect um, desirability is, you know, it's not all about rarity. And I've talked about this before in the past. You can have a card that's super rare. That's like stupid rare, but if nobody cares, it doesn't matter. You know, you can have one of one of something and you know, who cares? You know, somebody posted a one of one printing plate of somebody, uh, the other day and they're asking, Hey, how much is is this worth? And a lot of people said, Oh, five to $10. I haven't really been pricing printing plates of uh, common players anytime recently, but I thought that was crazy. You can get a one of one for five to ten dollars. That's insane. So, anyways, I guess it is what it is. But uh, in any event, you're not a. You know, I think you're a winner if you have, uh, you know, any uh, even any interest <laughs> when it comes to these sorts of cards when it's pre-war and everything. It's it's really kind of a. A fun thing but same thing goes to uh goes for loving uh you know junk wax era stuff i know i always keep going from high end to low end to high end to low end but i'm serious uh you know the the 88 donneris and 88 score and 90 fleer all that stuff is amazing it, it's really cool i think we can find meaning in that stuff as well uh and you know if i think that if those cards were all of a sudden uh, one one hundredth uh, of the quantity that they that they were. I think they would probably be uh, really desirable all across the board. But because they're so plentiful, that hasn't happened yet. Anyways, so we'll, uh, we're seeing prices climb on those. Anyways, that's all I have for tonight. Thank you as always for listening. Hope you all have a great rest of the day.